keep on kissing babies and hugging fat girls. Full of suffering, suck attach, son. It's me, Austin. Oh, son of a bitch. What? It's me, Austin. It was me all along, Austin. And you teeth look like two tight too, Billy. And you book a match with me. That's right, Killing. Look at me. I'm a total package. I will rip him apart. I'm pissed now. Where to, Stephanie? <laughs> Wrestle Roasts on ad-free shows and ATC. Welcome, everybody, to Wrestle Roast. I am in beautiful Fort Lauderdale, sitting next to, actually sitting next to Robert Karpolis. Um, His wife uh, has had enough and kicked him out of the house, so he's now staying with me in this hotel. We're going to start a new life together. Robert. I'm, I'm glad everyone's supportive of our decision. I think Dan and I are going to be very happy. No, I'm I'm here to see the incredibly talented Dan Soder and the mildly talented Dan St. Germain, who will be performing at the Dania Improv uh, this Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Yeah. Saw some people posted on the uh, Facebook group that they were going to be attending some of the shows. So oh, nice. That's, uh, that's awesome. And, and Scott, where are, where are you in the world? Oh, I'm in beautiful New Jersey, Nueva Jersey. Um, the home of Bam Bam Bigelow. And that's about it. Good dark side. You really. know it. Hey, you know, I watched 10 minutes of that documentary. Uh, it was a blast. It was good. Well, what not a blast. Saw. I mean, it was real sad, but it was like, I think it was one of the best ones they've done in a while. Have you made the pilgrimage to his tombstone? Is that like a thing people do in Jersey? No, no, we don't even visit our relatives' tombstones, let alone celebrities. <laughs> yeah, but who'd your relative ever be? They didn't wrestle Lawrence Taylor. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's the thing. They they all did. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they just sold them stuff. Um, yeah. that would that would be fun to like like every every year. There's a there's a Bam Bam visual where you like walk from a Wawa holding a candle to the grave. Um, I would love that. <laughs> All right, so hey, yeah, bar crawl and Asbury for Patreon this Monday. We are doing the roast of Arnold Schwarzenegger and Brian Alvarez, folks. Um, August 7th, we got SummerSlam 1998, that was Taker versus Steve. August 14th, the roast of the Paul Brothers, you on a first name basis. Oh, it's Taker versus Steve, yeah, Steve Austin. Uh, August 21st, the mailbag episode, August 28th, top 10 feel good moments in wrestling. And uh, roast events coming out after that. Next week's show, we got the roast of John Moxley and our SummerSlam preview. August 11th, we're gonna have our SummerSlam review. August 18th, mystery roast. Woo! August 25th, are all in Wembley predictions. So a lot of stuff coming up. But today we decided to kind of do Patreon on the main show. We're gonna be talking dynamite after this, but first we're gonna be talking SummerSlam 2005. A pay-per-view that Robert was part of the creative team for. Uh, and it is one of the, I, I said this to Robert, it's not really a good show or a bad show, but it is a weird fucking show. It feels like, it's just real interesting to watch. It feels like bo- both a holding pattern and something new is starting at the same time. Um, Scott, general thoughts about the show before we get into it. Uh, this might be the most memorable SummerSlam for me. 
in in terms of my fandom, I remember where I was. I didn't even have to look up matches. Once I saw the poster and I knew it was Hogan HBK, I knew everything else that happened on the lineup. I thought this was a really great SummerSlam. Uh, kind of like the vibe that this year's SummerSlam is giving, where at least going into it, every match felt really important. What you got maybe wasn't what you wanted out of certain matches, but the buildups, this SummerSlam buildup was fucking awesome. Robert, what was the career like leading up to this? Uh, what was what was uh, what was the plan? What was the SummerSlam plan, and did it change? Uh, so after the, Mania, yeah. So the the plan here, things got altered a little bit because you have Hunter who's injured, so you can't use him. And the edict post WrestleMania was, boy, we got a lot of guys we have to get over. Uh, we have to establish Batista. You have to establish Cena. You have to establish Orton. Uh, at the same time, you know, Sean and Hogan is what's going to draw eyeballs. So the hope was people see Hulk Hogan and Shawn Michaels on the marquee. And while they're there, they're going to be like, oh, this John Cena guy, he's fucking great. Oh, Batista, this guy is great. Oh, Randy Orton, this guy is great. So it was kind of like we're going to trick him with the headliner and try to sell him on everything else while also – this very insecure, not insecure, Vince doesn't get insecure, but like this kind of like Vince of trying to figure out like, are we going to go over the top attitude era or what's going to work to kind of recapture the magic? So it, it is a holding pattern and it's also moving forward and it's also kind of looking back. Well, I love the opening, just old school. Here are all the matches. Let's get this going. Um, first match isn't a match. It's basically a pop. The whole thing. It's just, right? I mean, it's a pop. So Chris Benoit versus Orlando Jordan for the United States Championship. Robert? All right. So here's the deal with Orlando Jordan. Um, it's not that this is going to come up later in the show, AR Fox, but having friends who are powerful and important is going to continue to get you pushes and exposure when you really don't deserve it. Uh, Orlando Jordan ingratiated himself to JBL, the Undertaker and Pat Patterson. And those are three great allies to have. The idea is we got to get Orlando Jordan over. The problem is he's not the best worker in the world. So the idea was to go the reverse and have Benoit beat Orlando Jordan in such a short amount of time that the audience is just stunned. And then over the next several weeks, Orlando kept losing in shorter and shorter amounts of time where the crowd went from what the fuck is this to how quickly can Benoit beat Orlando Jordan? Problem was, we didn't really have a part two of that. <laughs> so you just beat the fuck out of So it's just, we beat, the gag was going to be, Orlando was, and he did, he was going to, like, there was going to be a clock at the bottom and he was going to last longer than 20 seconds with Benoit, which is more than other people can say. And then after he sees he passed 20 seconds, start celebrating and then forget there's a match and then lose. And that's, but that, I mean, it, it, that's like a fun comedy gimmick, but that, that'll kill you as a serious wrestler. It will, but the hope was that the crowd was going to be invested in it and that they were going to suddenly give a shit about an Orlando Jordan match more than they would have otherwise. Now it's like, oh, here comes that guy. Let's see how quickly he loses, as opposed to here comes Orlando Jordan. Let's go get popcorn. Well, you guys sold a lot of popcorn that day. What did you think of this match, Scott? I, I remember uh, being a young boy. 
and not a young boy, but boy, and thinking that Chris Benoit should have been in a bigger match because he was so great and it was so frustrating. And I remember even at, at, at the time, this was for the U.S. title, and you go, what is what is going on with this title? Why, why don't titles feel important? Because at this point, it was a prop. So I was just frustrated. It was a prop to be able to remind you, like, hey, Benoit's here, and he has a title. They don't value the title. There wasn't really a huge premium on Benoit. And then eventually we moved, I think, right after this pay-per-view to him and, and Booker. Yeah, which was just good matches. Um, the Eddie-Vicky uh, Guerrero segment backstage, I mean, they're getting ready for the Eddie match. It feel. I mean, these guys have these guys make like Linda and Vince look like Richard Burton and Elizabeth Taylor as far as as far as the chemistry. <laughs> I mean, there is just it is it just feels weird. This whole segment, this segment felt weirder than the Benoit match. Uh, what did you think of this, Scott? Well, yeah. I mean, also fast forward to later on in the show where Eddie basically yells at Vicky. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they were they were always an interesting relationship where I don't think he he likes her very much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Robert, was it was yeah. it tough for them working behind the scenes together? I think anytime you're bringing your wife who's not a performer into that world, it's it's awkward. Um, the storyline itself is awkward and this whole idea of Eddie in real life had an illegitimate child in real life there had been adultery with Vicky and now we're turning it into a storyline and it's also a matter of miscasting and that you wouldn't think that this sweet woman would be such a great fucking heel like two years later so she was finding her footing as a performer but in this, I mean, she's not Ty Conti bad, but she's oh not, God, she's not, she wasn't great. And Eddie was never good at being able to mask when he hated something. Next up, we have Edge versus Matt Hardy, which my, my, my thought about this is like, it's, it's, I, I can feel the fans disappointment because they don't get a real match. But knowing where Matt Hardy is now, there's some like perverse enjoyment of just like oh, watching Ed beat him to Edge just beat him to death after he fucked his girl, um, and you know then we get the steel cage match later on, so they give Matt Hardy a win. But I, I, Scott, what was it like being a fan at this time? Were you like oh they wasted this? I was at the uh, the the, ne- the Continental Airlines Arena show where Matt Hardy showed up and was like. Bring remember like yeah, yeah, yeah. edge i guess uh which i thought was so cool i thought him mentioning ring of honor was the coolest thing and the build to this match was so well done it was it was the best so much so that i remember trying really hard to defend it even at the time because it, it was such a realistic feud uh that you go hey this is realistic you know hardy gets busted open he's bleeding a lot edge kind of has this advantage and in a way fights somehow work out uh i liked it for that but damn did everybody expect more and i mean we really thought we were going to see something special this night and that didn't happen yeah robert what was the what was the logic behind this okay so the the logic here is fuck we're stuck with matt Harden. um it, you know with, in this situation <laughs> 
But at the time, he's a better worker than he is now. Yeah, but that wasn't the dude that, like, you wanted to be on the edge train. We're like, this is the guy that's going to be our our moneymaker for the next decade. Matt Hardy is just the other guy. And when we fired him, or when they fired him, I had no fucking to do with that, uh, they were like, good, we're done with Matt Hardy. And there was a kind of a groundswell. He was the L.A. Knight of his time. And you bring him back, and it's like, well, you don't want to beat Edge because there's money in Edge, and there's not the same kind of money in Matt Hardy. But you want to get more than one match out of this because unlike, you know, Punk and and Kenny or whatever, it's not like these guys were okay with doing business. So the idea was if all this has felt like a work shoot, Matt Hardy's showing up and getting, you know, carted off, Paul Heyman mentioning Matt Hardy's name at one night stand, this should not feel like a wrestling match. It should feel like, wait, did Edge go into business for himself? Did he hard way bust Matt Hardy open? Was there was this a shoot? Did the ref really have to stop the match? Like, what's going on? And it didn't work. Well, I agree with that last part. Well, you know, it was four minutes and 50 seconds. It's just... Yeah, well, it. even, yeah. even if it was a stoppage, it's like the ref shouldn't even notice that quick. You know, it should have been a, a little wilder. I think we wanted uh, Terry Funk running around the crowd type of shit you know that wasn't the vibe it was more of remember that like john tenta shoot fight where like the match just got out of hand like that a a real fight would not last more than like two three minutes yeah but it's once you try to work a shoot it always it it always always fails but again this whole thing you were trying to do a work shoot and it it didn't work uh and ultimately the the payoff for this was a loser leaves raw match which matt hardy lost Well, what's also kind of funny about this is like, you know, you could tell Edge does not want to do this. Like he's in the ring and you can just tell he's like not scared, but just he he just looks like he feels fucking uncomfortable. It was like when Ziggler, you know, had that love triangle thing with Miro where you're just kind of like, oh, this guy doesn't want to be here. But our next match, Rey Mysterio versus Eddie Guerrero uh, with uh, the custody of Dirty Dom. He wasn't Dirty Dom. He was Delightful Dom at this point. Little Dom. Uh, He looked like the fucking... Uh, little kid in modern family, uh, but with an Eminem haircut. Um, losing custody is usually every wrestler's dream, guys. <laughs> so uh, it's it's interesting they made that stipulation. I, I, I'm just going to say this match was such a mix of great, absurd, and terrible. Like, it's so bizarre because the work in this match is fantastic. Like, the sitting senton that Ray does when Eddie's holding the ladder is, like, one of the most impressive things yeah, I've ever seen, and that's like me after watching all these New Japan matches and everything. Like the back body drop is phenomenal. Um, there's something so corny but funny about the social worker in the front row. But then you know they got to stop this match where they're just beating the shit out of each other to have like you know Dom hit somebody in the balls. And the big problem with the match is it it is building and the guy's work is great. Um, but Vicky doesn't show up for the spot where she's supposed to post the ladder. And Eddie realizes this and he has to fall off the ladder. And then he starts screaming, where the fuck is Vicky? And then Ray comes and hits him with a briefcase. But it's it's just a weird ending, man. And I think that's that's what it's a really good match. And what keeps it from being a great match is just how fucking weird the ending is. What do you think of this, Scott? Yeah, this I think is great uh, in in pro wrestling. I think you know she belongs in pro wrestling, or at least belonged in pro wrestling, but not in this moment. 
And I feel like that's everybody when they first show up. When you see a family member, you go, oh, no, they're so, so awful at this. You were complaining about Cody Rhodes' mom the other week. You know, Brock Lesnar's beating the shit out of him, and she's just kind of standing there like, oh, well. Um, these people, for some reason, aren't very good at it. And why should they be, maybe? Uh, but, yeah, she blew it in this match. I thought Dom was good enough. And I, I loved moments in this match, and that's all ladder matches are anyway. And so there were some really awesome moments uh, from mostly Ray. Uh, I have the action figure that is this outfit of Ray. So, you know, I, yeah, I love this. Yeah, I mean, there's just... This is memeable. This is something that people, like, still randomly reference because, again, custody for a child is so fucking stupid and so out there that it's something people reference nowadays. It's like, oh, my God, remember that thing about wrestling on TV? It just felt like when Vince Russo got two really good workers, you know, (laughs) my grid's like, well, this is what you're going to do with these guys. All right. Sure. Yeah, no, I, um, I never liked the storyline. I thought it was goofy and stupid and it's kind of the stuff that I never liked about wrestling, but certain people, especially like Pritchard were all in on this thing thinking this is just the all time best. This is what wrestling is. And this is one of those things where, I think like if my wife saw this and she walked in, like she would think so much less of me that like wrestling alone, watching it's kind of rough, but where it's like, well, wait till our next match. Yeah. Not only, not only that, but you're watching where they're fighting over the custody of a kid. I will say Dom at this point in time in 2005 got way more heel heat than Dom does in 2023. (laughs) We did a thing with him in Hartford and they put this poor child in the ring and he just got booed the fuck out of the (laughs) building. Uh, the the uh, the caseworker that was uh, Casey Lynn Stefano. She was on the writing staff, and she was our our lone female writer. She knew nothing about pro wrestling. She spent the entire time just planning her wedding, and <laughs> hated everything to do with everything we were doing. And then became a great producer. She was uh, the Amazing Race for a long time. But like, it was so. It was like if you ever had like shot class and you get a sub that clearly has no idea why she's like subbing for shot class. That was Casey. <laughs> How long did she last? Uh, like three months, but <laughs> Stephanie really wanted a female perspective. And then we made her a social worker because we knew she's so fucking awkward and uncomfortable. <laughs> she would be great. Like she feels like a social worker. Well, she, she did a good job. I thought nobody booed her. Um, all right, Jericho is backstage cutting a promo. It's just nice to see a good Jericho. That was my notes there. Um, but we move on to Eugene versus Chris Ang- 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 Kurt Chris Angle. Angle. Sorry, Eugene versus Chris Angel. No, Eugene versus Chris Angle. And if I had to describe this match, uh, it would just be, uh, what if you saw an Olympian death machine beat up someone with Down syndrome and get cheered for it? You'll see that when Gable Stevenson takes on Baron Corbin at uh, uh, the NXT pay-per-view. Dude, I mean, people hated Eugene here. Dude, he had like nuclear heat. Um, they hated him doing Hogan spots. They this this feels like a bad indie match. But then the end of it, it's saved because Angle recreates the Olympics pose yeah. after beating somebody from the Special Olympics. And Angle's just so great. You're just like this. And you know, Christy Hemi's good. You know, she's a she's fun to look at. Um, what do you think of this guy? I remember being disappointed in this match because uh, Eugene was really good in the ring. 
better than a lot of the guys, even on this show, better, you know, especially Orlando, Chris Masters. Guy, I think Eugene is better in one than Matt Hardy ever been. Um, uh, yeah, and, and as a technician, for his name, right? he's a trainer for a long time after that. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, I always enjoyed the way he was able to call back legends and how that was how he won people over. And so when you're fighting the guy Angle, I was really hoping for like an even more back and forth. Yeah, um, I wanted it to actually turn to something special because I think that guy deserved something at least once specially i mean you're playing a handicap guy your whole career give him like one genuine uh amazing match because he can do it yeah i i was not um i like the aftermath but it's not you know the match was kind of a nothing burger robert so the problem with eugene is exactly what scott just said which is nick dinsmore is a really good wrestler and then this stupid gimmick of all the things to get over for a while, like Eugene was super over with the crowd at one point. He was he main evented against Triple H on Raw. Like people were into Eugene, which was a problem because it was just a one-off mean-spirited joke that you now need to pretend was some sort of empowerment story. And if I want to see uh, a, a mentally challenged person just do a bunch of old WWE moves, I'll watch a Young Bucks match. <laughs> oh, you had to get one in. <laughs> You just sued that from being a shitty WWE segment to what's the problem with AEW. Uh, we then have the weirdest segment probably on the show, which are uh, all the hot uh, Stacey Keebler and Ashley Mazzaro and all these people. They're, they're uh, you know, watching, watching this limo. We don't know who's inside. And it says president on the license plate. And the door opens. And it's Vince McMahon who gets a huge pop. And he just says, why not? And then they close the door. Um, I went from being like, this is lame to them being like, this is so fascinating because like with anybody else, it would bomb horribly, you know, but there was there, no matter what Vince does, man, the WWE audience will be like, I'm going to fucking fuck. I mean, we have a co-host who fits this psychological profile. I will walk with this guy through a blitzkrieg. I will fucking go onto the beaches of Normandy without a goddamn fucking helmet and just take shrapnel to the face because Vince is our leader. That's fucked up for you to say. Mike's not even here to defend himself. <laughs> <laughs> but like, come on. I mean, this was, what? how did this come up in the writer's meeting, Robert? Like, what Gee, was I, I don't know, Dan. <laughs> Let's say you're trying to like keep your job as one of the writers and you need a way to get something on on the show. Hey, Vince, what if the idea is all the divas want to fuck you so badly they're going to wash your car, and then when you walk out as the hero god of them, the audience is going to erupt in cheers. You think that segment's going to get cut? <laughs> and then he has to do like, well, it's good for business, pal. All right, and then Bruce is just like, you know, this is going to make you a fuck ton of money. This is the greatest idea ever. Hey, it, it got a huge pop. Of course it got a huge pop because Vince was positioned as this, you know, aspirational figure at this point in time. Yeah, and then he feuded with Michaels over Jesus Christ. What did you think of this, Scott? Of this segment? Yeah, yeah. come on, man. You know what it was? SummerSlam um, 
when when the card isn't good, they lean heavy on like oh, summer beat party, and they didn't have to because it was good. And the time, and so they were like, well, women are on the beach. Maybe they could grind on Vince. That's kind of like the summer. Yeah, it does. That's what I got out of it. It feels like yeah, the sexy version of Brock wrestling a shark or something. Um, Undertaker versus Randy exactly. Orton. Loved Randy's old theme that's got 2.7 stars in the Observer, um, which I didn't agree with until the end. When on the ending, I was like, oh, this is kind of dumb. Um, AEW, though, has, especially after watching that fucking AR Fox match, AEW has made me miss Randy Orton a lot. No, he's not spectacular, but everything fucking makes sense. He never looks like he's waiting for a spot. Um, the finish, the finish was kind of dumb. And, you know, Bob Orton, he was just on the ring rubs for too long. It just, it just felt too long for the point of like, where it's like, well, Undertaker should know this is a setup because it's going on way too long. And this guy is acting like a Beverly hillbilly, you know? Um, what do you think of this match, Scott? Scott? Yeah, I, I love this match uh, at the time. And and, and on rewatch, I, I think it's a little too long. But other than that, uh, how much did Bob Orton last until they found out his blood was no good or whatever that story was. What happened, Robert? Uh, he had hep C and bled all over the undertaker. Uh, we're a couple months away from that, but the, um, so the situation, he was Hannibal before Hannibal was cool. <laughs> yeah, no, the, your, your situation here is you got to get Orton over as a heel and there's no bigger baby face to put him against than taker takers. You're measuring sick. He's the guy you want to have him wrestle. You want to have Orton win but you really can't beat Undertaker and you got to continue the story. And this is also a young Randy Orton who you need to kind of rein in a little bit. So let's put dad on the road to be a good influence because you're not going to misbehave if your father's there. So you were trying to kill several birds with one stone and it got Randy Orton a, a match against Taker very early in his career on a major show. And yeah, the finish was convoluted. You were going to a, a, a handicap match the next month, a handicap casket match. So, you know, whatever. Orton gets a big win at SummerSlam, and you get to have him tout that for a long time. Uh, Chris Jericho versus John Cena's weirdest John Cena shirt I've ever seen. It's almost like he's wearing a Stone Cold shirt. Um, they were trying to bubble wrap Cena's match. Jericho was really good in this match. He got the most out of Cena. Um. You know, it's it was an interesting it was interesting watching this match because I noticed there wasn't a lot of cheers, there wasn't a lot of boos, but people were still interested. You know, it was almost like I don't know what to make of this fucking Cena guy. And the one thing Cena was always good at was selling, man. He was always good. It was like Hogan, where he knew how to sell. You know, he really couldn't do much else at this point, but he knew how to sell. Um, yeah, I mean, I thought this was it was kind of like. What I thought it was going to be. No better, no worse. Scott? Especially at this time. Because you were going to get a little more out of Cena. A few moments that you wouldn't get out of Cena. Unless it was someone like Jericho or Benoit. So I like it. Especially as a WWE Championship match. It's fun. Uh, Robert, what was the story going into this match? Uh, idiot proofing, getting John Cena over in that 
Jericho was going to be gone the next night. Uh, he was wrapping up after Raw. So it's let's get Jericho in there with Cena to teach Cena everything Jericho can, get a good match out of him, then immediately pivot to Kurt Angle so Kurt can work with John for a couple months. It's kind of the, the way to idiot proof getting somebody new over. You see what they're doing with Grayson Waller now, where it's let's put him in there with Cena for a second. Let's put him in there with a match with Edge. Let's put him in there with AJ Styles. That was the uh, the thinking here. And Jericho was a guy that Cena could beat. And it's not going to be the end of the world. Like Chris went away for a couple of years and came back in 2007. So it, it worked for what it was. It's not great, but John Cena wasn't great at this point, but he was getting better. I just think the crowds kind of, number one, the crowds were more into Batista than they were Cena in a lot of ways. And they were starting to see that John was not great in the ring. And you have other guys who are carrying him. And sometimes when the crowd sees that, they turn on you. Well, next up, speaking of Batista, JBL versus Batista, my note on this match, mercifully short. It was like nine minutes. You know, for JBL, it's like, I think it's a great character. It's a great entrance, but then the bell rings and it's over, you know? Um, but, you know, like, you know, they knew what to do. They, they knew where their bread was buttered. Let's have our fucking monster baby face power bomb this guy everyone hates and some steel steps. People will forget about the match if they see that spot. And that's exactly what happened. I completely forgot about the match. As soon as I, I was like, oh, that's a cool spot. Oh, Batista looks impressive. Yeah, Robert, am I on track here? Is that kind of what you guys were doing? Yep. Uh, <laughs> we spent a lot of time. They spent a lot of time with JBL as champion. And it did not work. But take what I said about Orlando Jordan. And it's basically, well, JBL's best friends were you had Taker and you had uh, Bruce. Those are pretty good allies to have to keep you around. I mean, I thought the character was really good. The character was a great mid-card. And after this match, he became a lower mid-card character. He was a guy who had his, you know, goofy cabinet. And he had comedy stuff. He had that little feud with Mysterio. And then he wrestled like the boogeyman. So he knew where he was <laughs> that, going. That little feud with Mysterio. <laughs> where right. he was like Mexicans at the border. <laughs> yes, where 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 they filmed shoot Mexicans crossing uh, crossing the border uh, by accident. Didn't realize when they were there that was actually going to be happening. But um, <laughs> yeah, no, and this I mean yeah, this was fine. The problem was that Batista had to have another match at JBL in the first episode of Friday Night SmackDown. It was a like a bull rope match, something like that. And the good thing about JBL was kind of like Moxley, Bradshaw can bleed like a stuck pig. But when he's bleeding, he's like the great coward who's bleeding, where he doesn't want to bleed, and then he's covered in just blood from head to toe and just looks like just fucking annihilated. And that helps. So this was not a good match, but Batista at this point, not a great wrestler. So it was short, and everyone remembers the thud of Bradshaw's body hitting the uh, steel steps like a frozen turkey. Shawn Michaels. Oh, what did you think of this match, Scott? Sorry. Oh, I hated this match. I, I remember um, e even watching it live. I remember my high school girlfriend turning to me being like, I'm sorry this show isn't what you thought it was going to be. I remember that because I remember being embarrassed that she felt like she had to say sorry to me. Oh, jeez. Yeah. About a wrestling we've show all, being bad. We've all been there. Man. Yeah. It up to you later. <laughs> yeah, she broke up with yeah, him. But, man, this match sucked, man. JBL sucked. Batista oftentimes sucked. It was uh this was such such trash. 
Well, this match definitely in my mind match of the night. I don't know if it's ironically match of the night or re- legitimately is match of the night. Shawn Michaels versus Hulk Hogan. Um, they set this match up great. They're making a big deal about SummerSlam undefeated streaks, which I guess both Hogan and Michaels had. Um, Sean came in like a baby face, even though the whole program was a heel program. My favorite part of this match is when coach just goes, what about big John stud? And no one says anything, like no one responds. Um, does Hogan, here, here's my question, Robert was Hogan pissed during this match because like he saw how Michaels was selling and he was like, fuck, this guy sells better than me. And my whole appeal is selling to a bigger guy beating me up. Now I'm a bigger guy beating Sean up and I'm losing everything that's cool about me. Or am I looking too much into this? But no, he was pissed. No, that's not what happened though. It was Sean was being a a real piece of shit. It was pretty hilarious. So, (laughs) you know, this whole feud was an absolute blast because you really felt genuine tension of not, not just like, Oh, these guys are going to wrestle and this is a feud. It was a matter of who is going to actually agree to lose to the other. And so when you, when you get to the night of, and it's Hulk Hogan winning and Hulk Hogan is, you know, apparently at this time, I remember reading the dirt sheets. Uh, he's like a, he's like brainwashed man. He thinks he's like a real, he really thinks he's the greatest thing in the world. And so Shawn Michaels is there being the actual best in-ring worker that company's ever seen. Uh, and he was really offended by Hogan. So he mocked Hogan because Hogan was so limited that every move Hogan did, HBK acted like it was devastating to let him know, like, hey, you're a jerk off. It's pretty magnificent. So he was like, yeah, you could kick me in the face. I'm going to do four cartwheels. I mean, he would literally do, like, flips. He, like, flipped outside of the ring three times awesome. from a big boot. It was, uh, and he saw any and, and, like... Here's the thing about this match, too. Hogan is dying cardio-wise. He's got sheets of sweat. I don't think Sean breaks his sweat during this match. I don't think, like, because I remember halfway through the match, I'm like, is his forehead dry? Like, I've never seen, you know, usually Michael's known to, like, really exert himself. So, like, even with all this crazy selling, I don't think he broke his sweat once. Not at all. What no. was watching this, he, like, Robert? He, back? I'm sorry, Scott, what? He was like the mask when he gets shot with bullets, you know, and he just like breathe, he pretends he gets hurt, but then he just breathes and breathes them in and spits them out. Yeah, yeah, that's that's kind of what it was. And I mean, look, it's they got the match in the ring, they sold the match in advance. There was that great that thing on like the Larry King set where Sean was dressed like like Hogan, like that was fucking awesome. And it was also just mean. That was the thing. Yes. It wasn't like it wasn't funny. He was just being mean in these segments. I net watched why I liked it, but um. <laughs> No, he he wanted nothing to do with with making Hogan look good, and it was going to be a combination of I'm going to blow this guy up, and I'm going to make all of his stuff look ridiculous by completely overselling it, so I can like wink at the crowd and be like, look at how fucking dumb this guy is. And it's it was it's the last asshole Shawn Michaels appearance more than anything else. Like he 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 was still a babyface at this point, and like in real life of. You know, yay, Jesus, and yay, let's be altruistic, and sorry, Brett, and all that other bullshit. But, like, this is the last of, like, the old school, 97, 98, like, I'm just going to be a fucking asshole, Shawn Michaels. And it was awesome. And they were mad for, like, a minute. And then Hogan was back by October. So (laughs) paychecks seemed to work pretty well for everybody. 
Well, it's a fun show, man. How many uh, flaming bowling pins would you uh, would you give this guy? Oh gosh, just for for memory's sake, I got to give it like four and a half. I love this thing. Yeah, I, you know what? I'm almost like I'll give it even a- the parts I hate. I look back and I go, oh, I loved hating it at the time. You know? Yeah, I don't know. It was I mean, good the, shit. The whole event, I would give like I would probably give three point seven five. Um, but that match, I would give it 4.5 just because it's such a bizarre, like, that's the thing about Michaels. It's like, he's doing a joke match, but it's like, it's still the best joke match you're ever going to see. You know, it's almost like when MJF does comedy, you're like, I don't think you should be doing this, but this is the best version of this that there can be. Um, Robert, what would you give it? It's been long enough where I was able to go back and watch this just disconnected as opposed to just you know being like not pride of ownership definitely not pride of ownership but just remembering what it was to be in the muck and mire that i put it at a four flaming bowling pin status i think there's a lot of interesting history to it it is kind of fun to see the rise of three of the biggest stars in the history of the business and a lot of weird stuff uh and Dominic Mysterio. I mean, Dominic Mysterio at this point was so important, they made an action figure about him. So in Mike Lawrence's world, Dominic Mysterio is important. Well, folks, let's move Amen. on. Dynamite or dud, Robert, take it away. Oh, speaking of important, uh, hour one of Dynamite opens with a video package about A.R. Fox and how good of a guy he is, how he gave Darby a place to sleep and train him. And what a great dude. And I'm sure we're not setting anything up bad later on the show involving A.R. Fox because AEW always tells long, long stories. Uh, We then get A.R. Fox versus Orange Cassidy for whatever the fuck that title is called. Championship Darby, uh, sorry, uh, Orange Cassidy wins. And then after the match decides to uh, cuck A.R. Fox by putting his glasses on him. And A.R. Fox responds the way anybody should, which is snapping them off and beating the fuck out of Orange Cassidy. Darby comes out and yells, you embarrassed me, as if it was his dad. When we all know Sting's his dad. And then uh, John Moxley shows up to beat the fuck out of Orange Cassidy because of something that happened on a Ring of Honor pay-per-view, as if there's not enough fucking wrestling to watch. Uh, we get Chris Jericho and Don Callis in the back about how, uh, hey, good news, I think you should team with uh, Takeshita. And Jericho's like, yeah, that sounds cool. And you're going to team up against Sammy Guevara and Daniel Garcia. And guess what? Here's a creepy painting of us and the ghost of Bad News Allen. Um, There's a cool little video thing of Hook sitting on a subway uh, platform. Oh, that was cool. With the FTW title. Then the subway platform comes by, or the subway train comes by. The FTW title is gone. Really well shot. Looked awesome. Claudio and the threatening Wheeler Yuta talk about why you shouldn't mess with the Blackpool Combat Club. Uh, Jack Perry comes out doing his best Young Bucks impression uh, to talk about how stupid the FTW title was, how stupid ECW was, and that brings out Jerry Lynn. No, this is not an episode of Impact. Uh, Jerry Lynn confronts Jack Perry, and we're going to get a face-to-face confrontation next week. After we had a face-to-face confrontation. Off the face-to-face, yes. Uh, Britt Baker does an interview in the back where she doesn't manage to hurt anybody. Uh, Pac wrestles Gravity. And holy fuck, do I love Gravity. Uh, He's Bandito's brother. And I guess his gimmick is he sometimes walks like he's on the moon. 
And that's the <laughs> yeah. He's like he's like a drunk guy at a fucking wedding. Like it's the most <laughs> it's the most established character development AEW has ever given a lucha, as opposed to like Commander, who's like, well, he jumps. Uh, so gravity's awesome. Pac beats him, and then MJF and Adam Cole did it. Uh, it was a pre-tape from the week before because there's no way Max was flying to fucking Albany, uh, where they make fun of FTR uh, for for being stupid. Uh, for mullets and for having a family uh, and for uh, sucking on CM Punk's jockstrap. And then Max tells Adam Cole, hey, you know what? You're my best friend now. I'm going to give you a rematch. And then afterwards, Roderick Strong comes out all angry at Adam Cole. And I'm guessing these guys are going to fuck. And that's going to be the payoff. But until it happens, it is the most fucking bizarre thing on television scott why am i wrong why was this first hour fucking dope as hell <laughs> you're not necessarily wrong uh, uh look it's, this this is what i got out of uh we'll start with hour one obviously right I, this is what i did a lot of <laughs> I, I went i would go huh okay like uh none, none of it was anything i was expecting but it wasn't what would even have expected them to use and so you're kind of just sitting there watching an episode about like another group of students and you're like oh okay i guess this is is an episode about this lunch table even though this isn't what the show is about um you know you're trying to associate ar fox with swerve do i like that association i do i think they're both great wrestlers and i wish they did something with them did I want to see how they came together? No. And I don't want it to be like this Darby intro. And then, you know, it's all very goofy. Um, but am I happy they're together now? Yes. Did I like the matches? Yeah. In the first hour, I think I liked every match. Um, you know, Orange versus AR Fox was fun enough. I actually did like Moxley coming out because he was in that main event later on in the night. And it did let you know that Blackpool Combat Club is going to still be vicious, especially after the Blood and Guts match last week. Now, the the issue with that, though, is you don't hear from the Elite at all, which at least say, like, hey, we're giving them vacation. Which they, even MJF wins the title. He's not there that week. He celebrates two weeks later. Uh, this is a thing they do. Well, tell us why you do that. Tell us why every time someone wins a title, they're not on television that following episode. Is it because you send them to Disney? Let us know. Uh, what else happened? Let's see. I'm scrolling. The Jack Perry promo. I mean, yeah, you shouldn't give him a mic, but you are. You you shouldn't have. He was so bad at getting his point of us that he was shit on EW. I didn't understand why Jerry Lynn came out. Yeah. The and then it was, you know, it was a dud because Jerry's not the guy. Look, I want to see Jerry wrestle, but if this doesn't lead to Jerry wrestle, I don't want to. I don't want to see him interacting with anybody because it's just going to embarrass him. Yeah, but is he going to wrestle like, Christian? Where, where where's this going? He he can't really wrestle anymore. And there's it's the thing about anytime you invoke ECW when WWE did it, Impact did it, whatever. Like it, unless you're bringing in like Dreamer, which you know let let's hope from you know Mike's sake that's not the case. Like there's no payoff here. You're talking about a company that you don't own 
and making weird comparisons to it to continue a few that doesn't exist. And I don't know what it necessarily helps or that most of the audience is really familiar with Jerry Lynn to make that association. And if they're not, you can't really show a lot of the footage unless they start using some of the Ring of Honor Jerry Lynn footage, which defeats the purpose of this being an ECW storyline. Um, I didn't see sure, all the sure. first, I didn't and, see um, first hour, but I thought Orange and AR Fox sucked. I don't I, I thought that they were waiting for spots. You didn't like it? No, I just thought they were tentative and I like that type of match. But the whole, you know what it was? It was just like there, it was AEW done poorly. And I like Orange a lot in the ring. I've seen a lot, you know, between Orange and Pac and Orange and Will Ospreay. You know, I, I think he's a great wrestler. But I just thought that, like, I don't know if AR Fox was nervous. But, like, there was times he wasn't selling and times he was waiting. It was it was just, it seemed like he was in his head the whole fucking time. I like Moxley and Orange. I do think it's a little weird then when you become a producer of the TV show to, like, kind of put yourself in the you know, the top babyface position of getting beaten up at the end of the show, beginning of the show, and by the end of the show, you're the triumphant hero. But I do like that match. I think that it'll be good for both guys. Wait, you think he's producing on that level? You think he's producing on that level? He's producing. I don't know what level, but... If you're if it's, if it's you're a producer, you're probably producing... Oh, your shit you made up, you psycho. No, he's a producer now. Well, sure, I know he's a producer now, but... You think he produced himself in in the beginning of the show, like you think oh. that's his character? I don't know. There's that? a the history of Triple H to Kevin Nash to Dusty Rhodes to Ric Flair. I mean, it's like I don't think it's like even constant. some Perez Hilton shit. What? Right, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. I mean, we'll I see. Hope- but it's, I mean, it, it I mean, like we talk about like fucking wrestlers getting the book, and it's always a disaster. I'm not saying he has the book, but you know. Um, I thought the hook video was great. Um, My only issue with the hook video, as, as cool as the hook video was, there's a little part of you that's like, they had to go to Jack Perry to get the FTW title, <laughs> to bring it to a shoot, and then it's just sitting there. It's like, I get the cool visual of it, but you can't forget the production end of it. It just makes you laugh. That's also true. Um, All right. Uh there's nothing else on hour one hour two there's a ftr pre-tape interview that was so fucking weird where they're like max i bet you said this during your promo and i bet you said this during your promo as if they didn't watch the promo um it was weirdly disjointed but hey at least we're promoting this tag title match on collision so that's something um swerve took on darby allen in what was a really strong match until the end when a mystery person attacked and it was cowboy bob orton oh wait no sorry it was ar fox uh who has now aligned himself with swerve there's a jericho appreciation society segment where they're all standing in the hallway all sad because chris is not going to be their friend no more and we get to see <laughs> we get to see ty conti's belly and her remarkable acting skills uh, how sad she is that Chris is leaving. Uh, there's a sign in the crowd that says uh, something about how they want to see more women's wrestling. Uh, and then we get Britt Baker versus Taya Valkyrie in what was the sloppiest, most disjointed and uncomfortable match between two very talented professionals. Uh, I have no fucking clue what was going on there. And then in the main event was the Best Friends versus the Lucha Bros versus the Blackpool Combat Club where the winner gets 
Nothing. Because on Rampage, there's a battle royal for the number one contendership <laughs> for the tag titles. So this match had literally... That was so stakes, frustrating, man. Had no stakes. And then uh, Orange Cassidy comes out to attack uh, Moxley. And the Lucha Bros win, despite the fact that the Lucha Bros and Best Friends have not been on TV in like a month because they've been in Ring of Honor. Uh, I don't... I what the, What the fuck, Scott? <laughs> Here's my guess on the Lucha Bros. Okay, so wait, did we talk about Gravity vs. Pack? Was that in the first? That was hour one. Oh, because man, that, that should have been really, uh, really fun, but it was just too long. Uh, it, it should have been, you know, uh, uh, Gravity presenting some fun moments and Pack killing it. Here's the issue with this episode, and it's a similar issue you have when you see the booking of next week's episode. You're going, hey, this Wembley show is coming up. Uh, All Out is coming up, and I want to get hyped on these matches, but you're not even setting up situations where I can read what is a good match you're about to give us. Um, So the main event, which I really enjoyed the main event. I I did not like those matches. I think Trying to tell was Taya really beating the shit out of Brit, and then Brit finally coming back. The problem is all, all these moments of Taya beating Brit up were like Brit's sloppy or Taya not really committing, and so it just Scott. Scott's gone. Scott's gone. Everybody, um, sorry about that. He was kind of in and out on this episode. So was Tony Khan and the way he was booking it. So we're fine. Uh, I didn't watch the second hour, so I that's fine. Play. I mean, like I said, the the takeaway in the second hour was Swerve and Darby have amazing chemistry. They were having an awesome match that kind of got marred by let's make AR Fox a thing, um, and uh, this teasing of the Jericho Appreciation Society, which is confusing, just because the Jericho Appreciation Society are a bunch of shitty heels. They've been shitty heels that you're supposed to hate. So you're not supposed to be sad that Jericho is leaving the shitty heels to go join something else. Like this kind of stuff works more on a, a babyface side than it does with the heels. I like, I do not care that the dude with the comb is sad that Jericho's leaving, even though he gave him a comb. Um, it's it's a lot of just miscast people. I mean, the, the one that, in our text thread every week, we always point out why the fuck is Anna Jay not with Jack Perry on camera. Like he should be rubbing it in everyone's face that look at this, look at this girl that I have that none of you can ever get as another reason to hate me, this Nepo baby FTW champion. But instead she's here in this backstage segment showing her remarkable acting jobs. Yeah. He really should be a Dom who's a great worker, but that's not happening right now. (sighs) Dom Dom Mysterio or just like, Dom Mysterio, okay. no, no, not a Dom. I was like, that's a different <laughs> angle. That's a whole different. That's the butcher's character, yeah. I think. Uh, do you do you think Jericho goes with Callis, or um, we are going to get this this silly faced Jericho appreciation society? I mean, the issue. Oh, Scott. Oh no! All right, Scott is out. Don Don Callis's people got. All right, him. let's get to high spot, low spot, Robert. Uh, all right, my. Uh, and and Scott's officially gone. My my I'll start with my low spot. My low spot of the week uh was on Raw. They did Tommaso Champa and uh Bronson Reed. And I love 
Uh, I love uh, Tommaso. I think he's fantastic. I think Bronson Reed has a lot of potential. They let those guys go out there for a very long time, and the crowd just kind of died. Uh, they realized this was not something they were super interested in. Um, they were really disconnected uh, from everything that was going on, no matter what those two did in the ring. And it was unfortunate. It was a it was a real miscasting of those guys. Uh, I don't get what, what they're doing here. I thought the idea was we're going to build up to Gargano coming back, but that has not happened. A low spot, I think. Uh, both Kevin Owens and Liv Morgan are injured. I think they've been doing some really interesting stuff. Uh, high spot, getting to see uh, Dan St. Germain in person. Uh, it was It's a blast getting to hang out with you. Yeah, and man. Going out, uh, grab lunch with, with Dan Soder, talk wrestling. That's the right thing about wrestling, guys. It is the universal, like, you put people together and they're wrestling fans, you will have something to talk about for a lot of time, hoping that no one actually hears you because it's fucking embarrassing <laughs> when you're in a crowded restaurant talking about the great Kali yeah. passionately for passionately. 10 minutes. Yeah, well, High Spot, definitely hanging out with Robert and uh, getting a, and getting to that sub. The subs are delicious. Um, hey, shout out to, if you're ever in Davie, La Spada's subs, fucking yeah, fantastic. It was awesome. Low Spot. Fuck it, I'll say AR Fox's botches. I mean, I don't care really, though, either. My low spot is I don't really care. Um, uh, my low spot is there's too much wrestling. <laughs> That's my low spot. But hey, check me out at the Dania Improv. Uh, I'm going to be opening for Dan Soder all weekend. Um, and then next month, I'm on the road, too. So I think I'm in... I forget the one place I'm in, which I'll rent next week. But at the end of the month, I'm doing a Virginia run. Saturday, uh, September, I'm in St. Louis. Oh, oh, and I'm also in Port Chester uh, next month opening for Alana Glazer. So, uh, oh, and I have a new podcast, The It Couple, co-hosted by me and my wife. We review a horror movie every week. Our first episode is Henry Zabrowski. He's awesome in it and really funny. Um, so check that out. And we're going to actually have Alana Glazer on next week. Robert? Uh, oh, hold on. Scott just texted in his high spot, low spot, since his uh, connection's not working. Um, high spot was collision had a very fun wrestling pace that deserves more than what it's getting, but Hey, Saturday. Oh, well, as literally what he texted, uh, and low spot ROH show rules, but why no build at all? Come on. Awesome women's main event and no one cares. Not right. Mr. Khan. <laughs> so I love, I, I'm just like, uh, see Scott like dresses a newsie saying that outside Tony Khan. This ain't right, Mr. Khan. Not right, yes. Mr. Khan. Teddy Roosevelt's going to pull up and start booking the women's division better. <laughs> There's a deep cut newsies reference that only my wife will appreciate that I made on here. Um, she's not listening. No, no. She's, uh, you never know. For all I know, when I'm not there, she may be secretly listening to Russell Rose. No, but I, if she's I listening to one, then she's spending her rest of her time having an affair. That is, uh, that is, Painfully true. Uh, no, I think she'll listen to this and be like, I am married to an incredibly wise. Oh, sure, you know, it's wrestling, but also newsies. That kind of sums up our entire relationship. <laughs> so, yes. Uh, all right. What are we, we going to do? All right. Watch oh, your hands. Patreon, yeah, this week. Uh, yeah, subscribe. Russell Barnard on Uh Wash your hands. And uh, it's never goodbye. And uh, goodbye.